The reading is taken from Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Jesus is based in the wilderness and tested. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Right. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here. I thank you that you're moving. God, would you just come and speak this morning? Would you give us fresh revelation of you? Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's great um, to be with you this morning. Um, if you don't know me, because um, I'm not often around at the 845, um, my name is Will. It's all right, I'm not always in bed. I am up. Um, I'm just not always here. Um, but my name's Will. I'm on the team here at SML. On top of so many different things, I have the privilege of leading our new one discipleship year and the pool hub of it, which is a gap year for 18 to 24-year-olds, all about um, finding out more who we are, who God is, and who he's made us to be. That's what I sort of do here. So do, if you want to find out anything else about it, come and grab a conversation. I'll be hanging around for a bit. Um, do come and chat. Um, but I want to start this morning by asking you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Are you counting down the 302 days until Christmas? Is that what you're waiting for? So, yeah, oh yeah, Easter first probably. But um, what about how long it is until a holiday or a birthday or a um, significant life event? Maybe like Mark and others around here, you might be a Liverpool fan and you're counting down the days until the next season begins um, because this one's a write-off. 
Bournemouth fans probably exactly the same. Um, or maybe you're waiting for something else, but what are you waiting for? This morning, um, we find ourselves at the beginning of Lent. It's the beginning of a time of expectation, of waiting. And we start this journey, don't we, towards Easter. We start this journey where we move towards um, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, where sin is forgiven, right relationship with God is restored. How amazing is that? We journey towards this time where, um, this moment in time, where his story changes history. And it starts in a river and a desert. It's not in a palace but it's in the middle of nowhere. And our reading this morning comes straight after Jesus' baptism. Jesus the Son, he's come up out of the water, the Spirit descends, the Father proclaims this great message of who Jesus is. It's this holy moment, this mountaintop moment, as some people might describe it. And what happens next? Jesus, whilst he's probably still dripping with water, from the river um, is taken by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The word led um, that we heard read, it can also be translated as driven. It's a forceful word. It's a powerful word. It wasn't a, well, if you want to go over there, you can go over there. It was, you are going here. No sooner has he come up out of the river he is taken into the wilderness. And after 40 days, the devil comes. It's not your usual baptism party, is it? There's no cake. There's no whatever else. It's into the desert. But how true is that of life today? We can have some great moments where the Holy Spirit comes and moves so powerfully and beautifully and amazingly, and we're in this mountaintop moment where everything is awesome, and then just as quickly as it's come, it goes, and it feels like we're in the middle of a wilderness. Jesus goes from being in the river, a place of life, a place of abundance, to the wilderness where life is so easily lost. And I was struck this week, actually, while thinking about this passage. Other than fasting and, I assume, praying, what on earth was he doing for the other 40 days? There's not a lot to do. But what is he doing in that space over the 40 days leaving, or leading sorry, up to his temptation? I don't know. I've no idea. I've asked one or two people and they don't seem to know either. Um, but I wonder if, if he was simply waiting in the wilderness. I wonder if he was simply waiting. I wonder if he knew that he was there for a reason. And he, as he was waiting and praying and trusting God in that moment. In my experience, sometimes the Holy Spirit comes and says, hey, go into this space for me and just wait and trust. Wait and trust. And it's a tough moment for him, but he waits. And waiting isn't this passive state of being. It's an active choice to stop and be still. No, I'm not going any further because God, you've told me to wait. So I wonder for you, what is your wilderness place? 
where everything is a little bit tough. We all have them. I know I do. Um, perhaps it's something to do with work. Maybe it's finance or home life. It might be grief. That's a big one, isn't it? Sometimes it might be related to physical or mental health. Maybe you feel like you're in a spiritual wilderness at the moment. But the thing with the wilderness is this. It's also a place of encounter and opportunity, if you allow it to be. A place where God can move so powerfully and, and um, equip and transform you for a life with him. So really briefly this morning, I just want to suggest two things um, about how we can wait in the wilderness, and then we're going to um, see what God wants to do. Um, there's so many different bits and pieces we could go into of not time this morning. But firstly, Jesus waits in the wilderness knowing his identity. He knows his identity. When the devil comes to Jesus, what is the first thing he says? We read in Matthew 4, verse 3, the devil comes to him and says, If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. So often we find ourselves, or when we find ourselves in wilderness places, it is our identity which the devil questions first. It's a seed of doubt. It's the question, are you really God's son? Are you really God's daughter? It's a question that if we're not confident in the answer in, it can absolutely unravel everything because it goes to the heart of who we are, right? Our identity is who we are. It shapes what we think about ourselves. At Jesus' baptism, he comes up out of the water. The Spirit descends and rests on him. And what does the Father say? This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. What's amazing about this is Jesus hasn't done anything yet. Before he's taught a single word, before he's performed a miracle, before he's fulfilled God's purpose for his life, what does God say to him? You are my son, I love you, and I'm pleased with you. And the amazing thing is he declares that over you as well. Before you do anything, before you get up, before you pray, before you go to work, before anything happens in the day, he declares over you, you are my son, you are my daughter. I love you. I'm so flipping proud of you. He, said, he declares that over you because he loves you. What might be even, even more awesome is this. When you get to the end of the day, when you've messed up, when you've got frustrated, when you've done that thing you weren't meant to do, when you've given in to temptation, guess what? He still says, you are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. I am so, so proud of you. He loves you. He loves me. And he loves reminding us of our identity. Here's a few things that he says about you. 1 John 3, 1. You are a child of God. You are a child of God. Genesis 1.27, you are made in God's image. I wonder if you believe that. Jeremiah 1.5, you are made holy. 
1 Peter 2, 9, you are God's treasured possession. Romans 8, 17, you are an heir and a co-heir with Christ. You are royalty. And Zephaniah 3.17, God is rejoicing over you right now with singing. That is your identity. Hear it, receive it, live in it, know it, as you wait in the wilderness. Secondly, um, Jesus waits in the wilderness knowing God's truth. Each time the devil tempted Jesus, he responded with scripture. Verse 4, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's Deuteronomy 8.3. Verse 7, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16. Verse 10, away from me, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now, the issue is, the devil also knows scripture. Now, that, that's the issue here. We can, we can sort of assume that he's memorized most of the Bible. He's been with God forever or for a long time. So we, we, he, know, he knows scripture. And we read in verse 5 and 6, he says, If you are the Son of God, um, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Scripture is the word of God, but the devil can still use it to try and deceive. He's not wrong. That is written. That is in the book. It's Psalm 91, 11 to 12. It is there. You can go and find it and read it. He isn't making up anything in a sense, but what he has done here is he's drastically taken it out of context. That is not what it says. In essence, he's saying, go ahead, Jesus. If you do this, the Bible promises that angels are going to rescue you and it's going to be an amazing advert for what you can do. Like, it's going to look really good for you, so why don't you just go and jump off and you'll be fine. It's amazing. Charles Spurgeon, a 19th century preacher and theologian, said this. Satan borrowed our Lord's weapon and said, it is written. But he did not use the sword lawfully. It was not in the nature of the false theme to quote correctly. He left out the necessary words in all thy ways. Thus, he made the promise say what in truth it never suggested. The devil misuses scripture. He takes it out of context and creates false promises for his own gain. So if you want to wait in the wilderness well, knowing God's truth, knowing scripture is so important. Now what I'm not saying is you've got to memorize the whole Bible. That's just not, or maybe it is doable. You're going to need an amazing memory. I cannot do that. If you can do, fair play. But um, John 14, 26 says this, and it's one of my favorite verses 
Um, I love John 13 through to the end of sort of 15 and into 16. I think it's amazing. Go and read it. Um, but John 14, 26 says this. Um, he, Jesus promises his Holy Spirit to the disciples that the Spirit will come and hear what he says, the advocate of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Now, you've got to read the book. You can't, the Holy Spirit can't make you remember something that you haven't learned in the first place. You can't remember something that wasn't there. That's just logic. But as you wait in the wilderness and the devil comes and quotes things out of context, he can bring it back and say, remember this. This is what I actually said. This is what is actually true. Of course he can reveal things. Of course he can. But read the book. Jesus knew God's truth. It's more powerful and more important than anything the devil could throw at him. Scripture is our greatest weapon, in a sense, against the enemy. It's the word of God. Hebrews 4.12, I love it. It says the word of God is alive and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. Read it. Live it. And allow God to speak and work through it as you wait in the wilderness. And so often, we think there's no way through. But sometimes we need to change our perspective and realize that the wilderness, one of the biblical places of encounter where almost every prophet found their calling, is actually the way to greater intimacy and obedience and fruitfulness in our life with God. So what is your wilderness? How do you wait in it? God is not absent in the wilderness, but we've got to be open to allowing him to work in his way. So we're just going to pause there, or finish there, rather. But I just want to encourage you for a moment Maybe you just want to think about what is your wilderness space at the moment. What is it? And maybe you just want to ask God to show you what he's doing in that place. And I'm just reminded, actually, of... Um, the children's book it was one of my favourites growing up of um, going on a bear hunt and it says you can't go over it you can't go under it but you've got to go through it the great thing is God comes through it with us so Holy Spirit would you help us to wait in the wilderness well Father, would we know that you are with us in that space? Help us to trust you. I thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Would we know our identity in you this morning? And would we have a greater desire to know your truth. We love you.
Amen.